Welcome back to the Arts Mac Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Capasso, and I'm here with... Jerry Gagosian. Jerry, it's Super Bowl Sunday. Are you pumped or what? Who do you think is going to win? Rihanna. Rihanna? Yeah. Is she playing? Yeah, it's Rihanna versus Beyonce. Dude, I don't think people know this. I, I found this out. Halftime performers at the Super Bowl do not get paid. Isn't that illegal? <laughs> <laughs> they literally, it's so much exposure that they just want to do it. And there are reports that some of them, like The weekend, actually pay on top mm-hmm. to actually enhance the performance, which I thought was bonkers. But it is Super Bowl Sunday. This I, is a podcast where we're mm-hmm. going to break down the big game for you. <laughs> just I kidding. can't believe The weekend got chosen to do the, the, <laughs> the halftime Jerry, performance. <laughs> Jerry, what are, what are we going to talk about? Is he halftime performance worthy? Ah, who knows? Did you watch that? I did. He was running through a room and that the camera. It, no, it was, an, it was an artwork made by S. Devlin. Really? Yes. Oh, wow. Why don't you run down what we're going to talk about on today's episode? Ep 14, by the way. Episode 14. 14 weeks of our lives devoted to you, dear listener. <laughs> you better appreciate it. <laughs> Um, no. So this week, I guess, is going to be like the Los Angeles starter pack, kind of like what we did for Miami, but we're going to do it for LA in honor of Freeze Santa Monica, <laughs> I'd like to call it. Freeze LA is taking place at the Barker Hangar in Santa Monica, which makes very little sense to me. Don't don't give it away. I mean, we're going to be talking about all the other things that are going on this week in Los Angeles. And we'll do a little run through of how the landscape of the art world in Los Angeles is changing and how it's been before and how it's been a little bit before that and why LA is the way it is and what my experience has been as somebody who lived and worked in LA for many years, a veteran as one might call myself. And we're going to be discussing the nightmare that is an MTV produced reality television series brought to you by the same people that made Teen Mom and My Sweet 16 are now going to be making a television series about America's next greatest artist, and it will be set at the Hirshhorn Museum. And Mr. Matthew Capacity will be breaking it down. I am a reality TV show junkie at this point. He is. You can agree. He has impeccable taste in what he watches, The Bachelor and Love Island. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Too. Anyway, so Mr. Capasso will be breaking it down. My head will be in my hands. And occasionally, I will lean into the microphone and breathlessly give you a few opinions on the subject. So we got a great show for you guys. Welcome back to Art Smack. Welcome back, baby. The art world is coming to reality TV. Or should I say coming back to reality TV? So the Hirshhorn Museum and Sculpture Garden, it's a part of the Smithsonian family of museums, is launching a reality competition show about the art world. 
That museum is there, the Smithsonian's Modern and Contemporary Art Museum. It's based in Washington, D.C. So the museum is teaming up with MTV, as you stated in the intro, creators of programs we hold near and dear to our heart. Jersey Shore, mm-hmm. Rob Deerdeck's whatever show that's been on for 40 years at this point that you just run. And what is that show called? Factory something. No, it's called like whateverness. Yeah, ridiculousness. <laughs> <laughs> Even better. I mean, we got Teen Mom, we got the Sweet 16 one, just the hits. Real World, of course, the Which, OG. Wh- that's back when it was sort of good. Yeah. In like it, 1996. Obviously, I mean, I grew Singled up- Singled out. The one that your cousin was on. Oh my God, Cheaters. I hope he's no, not, not Cheaters. Well, you just- Well, he was on Cheaters too. <laughs> okay, actually. maybe he was on Okay. No, well, the, the dancing show. Yeah, because MTV Spring Break used to be Spring this Break. big thing. And he was- he was One of the, the people in the crowd guy. dancing at the spring break pool party. But he was so good, they would invite him back a lot. He would. And then he eventually got in the, the network and he was on a program called Cheaters in and the And then there's another show called Road Rules that a Road lot of Rules. people like. I mean, honestly, I'm very fond. I have very fond memories of MTV growing up. Used to watch it all I the mean, time. I mean, I have fond memories of also just watching music videos. Yeah. Well, that, that was, was a 80s. long time ago. So MTV is teaming up with the Hirshhorn Museum for a competition show with contemporary artists. Stop me if this sounds familiar for people who are around. We'll get a $100,000 prize and a solo exhibit at the Hirshhorn. Sounds very familiar to a previous show that we will get into later. So the show is hosted by MTV's Dametti Pongo, the judge, the lead judge, like the Simon Cowell or whatever type person, is Melissa Chu, which is the Hirshhorn's actual director of the museum. And a team of guest judges will appear throughout the season. Probably each episode, they'll bring in some guest people to kind of judge the work. And it's going to include artists. Names have been dropped like Adam Pendleton, Kenny Shock, Abigail DeVille. I'm going to butcher this one. I'm so bad at names. Zha Zha Wei, Keith Rivers, former NFL player. Sarah Thornton, writer of Seven Days in the Art World. Mm-hmm. Author there. Married to Jessica Silverman. Oh, okay. So uh, just some background on how they came up with the show's concept. So they did a nationwide search. Participants were selected in consultation with the Hirshhorn curators. By participants, I mean the actual contestants of the show. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to read some of the, the names of the participants. There's actually only seven of them. So it's not one of these Bachelor or whatever style shows with 20 plus Damn. people. You got Jamal Barber. He is uh, an artist, printmaker, and educator. You got Frank Buffalo Hyde, an artist who's examining indigenous life. Misha Khan, New York-based artist and designer at the intersection of design and sculpture. Claire Kampu, an artist and arts educator in New York City, creates paintings that draw attention to everyday and often overlooked objects. (laughs) Basiri Khan, a New York-based performance, sculpture, and installation artist. Jillian Mayer, a Miami-based artist. Shout out Miami. You got one of them in there at least. Jennifer Warren, a largely self-taught Chicago-based oil painter. So on the show, the contestants are going to be tasked with creating works inspired by the Hirshhorn and pieces from the museum's collection, like artists of Laurie Anderson, Mark Bradford, Gorilla Girls, Kruger, Kusama, Namjoon Park, Alma Thomas. So our good friend Annie Armstrong, who writes the wet paint column, mm-hmm. she had a, a little blurb in her mm-hmm. last wet paint about rumblings of how this thing got created. I think... She reported that the producing companies behind this that were putting this together tried and failed to recruit artists like Chloe Wise, Peter Zahore, and Jamie and Giuliano Villani. To be uh, contestants? To be contestants. They, oh, they wanted test- They wanted them. They said no. <laughs> so the show is called The Exhibit, Finding the Next Great Artist. Actually, 
we're giving them a plug here, but it does appear on March 3rd, so next month, and it will be sandwiched between two episodes, this is true, of RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> so what do you think? I mean, one of the funny things that they, in their press release about it, is that uh, they're calling it the exhibit. That's the short word, short okay. phrase for it. So the exhibit is a first-of-its-kind show. Highlights how seven rising artists create original paintings, sculptures, prints, mixed-media works in response to some of the most important ideas of our time. Jerry, is this the first-of-its-kind show? No, it's not. There was a show called, I think it was called A Work of Art. Work of Art. So Hosted by Jerry Salt, <laughs> Bill Powers... China Chow, China Simone Chow. de Puri. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, sounded very similar, except it was sort of, and they would get tasks mm -hmm. and they would, you know, the only thing that was different is I think they tapped, it sounds like in this, they went after sort of more established artists who sort of, sounds like everyone you read is like an established has an established practice and the thing that was like maybe a little more clear in a work of art was that maybe for comedic reasons they like didn't necessarily all have like an art education and blah 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 whereas all of these people sound like they yeah they have I think it's right. I think Talent they, and practice. it's only seven people. So I think they went really tight on their selection of who they, and there's But what is the tagline to find America's? So it's funny. <laughs> I, I kept making jokes about like, stop me if this sounds familiar, but okay. So the new show coming out, this is the mm -hmm. whole thing. It's called The Exhibit, Finding the Next Great Artist. The winner gets $100,000 and an exhibit at the Hirshhorn Museum. Mm-hmm. Okay, the 2010-ish reality show on Bravo, hosted by Jerry Saltz, Bill Powers, et cetera, is called Work of Art, The Next Great Artist. So we got the exhibit finding the next great artist, and then the OG one was Work of Art, The Next Great Artist. And the winner of that show got $100,000 in a show at the Brooklyn Museum. So once yeah. again, the exhibit, the latest one, it really is a first-of-its-kind show. I think we can all agree. It's never been done before. So, Jerry, do you think this... Upcoming, the exhibit on MTV will work. Do you think it'll capture the world like, I don't know, no. Project Runway, you know, Jersey Shore even, any of these types of reality no, shows? No, because this is, what I, this is what I don't like about this show. What I don't like about this show is a lot of things. First of all, if the Hirshhorn is going to do anything like this and if it's going to be successful, they, they need to risk something. They are risking nothing. This is the most sanitized, boring, like going to the grocery store and getting like a gluten-free vegan pizza out of the frozen pizza aisle and then like following the exact instructions on how to cook it and then like eating it with like the correct utensils sitting up with like good posture on like proper plate and then only eating the exact portion of the calories you should eat and then 
putting it away in you know it's too so what sanitized. Are you, what are you trying to say that it's too packaged like it's too, it's sanitized. too like there are no risks there's not even like a nod this is oh this bothers me so much there's not even a nod to like okay you know what makes like art really good me personally is when and this is why like of course jamie and giuliani Villano said no and of course like Chloe Wise said no. And of course, like most artists are not going to want to be on this show. Is like the best kinds of art are like not going to follow the rules of the Hirschhorn. And I'm sorry, don't care what Chu, what Julia Chu has to say about their work or what Kenny Schachter has to say about their work and aren't going to like stand there and like take criticism. When, like, you know, clo- not that money ca- counts for much, but a Jamie and Giuliano Villani painting is definitely worth more than Julia Chu's entire, like, annual salary. Like, she doesn't care what that woman has to say. And, like, honestly, if, I, I know actually a lot about jamian's work like if you look at her work and you listen to her speak like her work is is very wild and it's out there but it's like incredibly intelligent and she'll throw she'll be like yeah i was reading this thing on maoist china and then i and then i was like obsessing over some cartoons that i really got into and then i had a dream about being in a diner and then I and then I started painting and then this painting kind of started coming together and then it sort of made me think of this poem that I'd read and so I started writing the poem on top of the paint like she her paintings are brilliant the way they sort of all come together they're they're nothing about following rules and she would tap dance on top of these people's heads and she I mean if you look at what she's doing in her gallery I'm not sure what it's called that Jeffrey Deitch just like basically let her and her friends open as like an art project for the next couple of years or so. I don't really know if it's even about selling. I mean, she could correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's just like a space where they're allowed to like express and do projects for the next couple of years and it's kind of like a no rules kind yeah. of space uh, we haven't seen this show we don't know exactly what the format will be but thinking about the bravo show work of art we actually watched it randomly a few months ago we just were like do you remember that show? i was like i had never seen it actually and you had and you were like let's let's check in and see if it holds up like has it aged well and i remember the first episode <laughs> was they introduced everybody and the first challenge was like i don't know create a work of art in something so like you said with rules and parameters like create a work of art about this with these stipulations it's almost like that show chopped on food network it was yeah. like limited time limited supplies like do it first off like red flag number 1 the art making process like having those types of rules i guess it makes for theoretically good tv but yeah this great art this great work of art get made that way Mm-hmm. But in season one, ep one of that show, there was that artist. She was she was older than everybody. Her name is Neo Bustamante. Oh my God, I love that? her. I love Neo Bustamante. So she's. I mean, her art. It was so funny. Wikipedia has it. Her artistic specialty is performance art. Yes. She, no. I do you know. I went to one of her talks afterwards, and she did that as a her piece. Sorry, I want to interrupt. Yeah. You. 
a piece of her performance art was to see how many times she could get on national TV. <laughs> no, so she went on like Sally, Jesse, Raphael, and like all the like talk show hosts as much as she could under like false names pretending to be a psychic like <laughs> she went on so many different we were shows. loving it we were like she does because she's talking and, and she's, she's so like different telling people like no but that's not art you have <laughs> yeah. to start over so i think nao had fun with it and then her she was like one of the first people eliminated i mean yeah like, she's like the only one making art yeah it's like these people are doing like spray paint graffiti style like paintings yeah like pop stuff and she's doing this conceptual piece about like I forget, like trees or something. Yeah. The piece looked totally different than all the 19 other contestants. Yeah. And Simone de Puri and all of them. No, a, this like, must go. You're out. So if that structure holds, you're going to have these seven artists creating things and forms and in the under these guidelines and conditions. It's it, it's tough. I, I, I think that's- It's that, just so fake. Like also too, like they're not going to let people do drugs on TV. They're not going <laughs> to let them have sex on TV. They're not going to let them get naked. Like, do you know anything about the people? Like, I'm not naming any names. Like, I don't know who the people that did decide. I saw like their profiles are like dressed very modestly with their hands in front of their laps. But I'm like, if you want to get like fun fucking people to like come on the show and like, like, where's the drama? Like they invited these like, it sounds like they invited these like peaceful little like, like, what's the word like people that are gonna just be like okay you'll need to change my work now it's not good enough for you okay how can i make it better i want to please you no that is like no way that is not how you find good work like anything that's like good american artwork to me also equals wild yeah i think trying to think about other parallel tv shows i've tried this format there's a bunch but like i think one comes to mind in, in similar style is like project runway right they have these designers yeah. come in, and it's like this week the challenge is create something with cotton and silk or something yeah. this color pattern and then they would put together these collections and present it I, that show did work in a way it's been on tv for a long time people are watching it it's got some sort of presence so could this show follow in a Project Runway path? Could it find an audience? Maybe. Yes. Maybe it could work. But would it work in the artist's favor? I don't think so. Man. Because these shows just turn the contestants into little cocks for the judges who become famous. The judges become more famous than the artists who are applying and the artists oftentimes become become like the contestants on other reality tv shows they just become the jokes that they're like oh remember that guy that that sang really bad and when he tried out for for america american idol, american idol. <laughs> remember that korean guy that sang really oh my god she bangs. she bangs she bangs she bangs she bangs she bangs and then like he got william famous. hung william hung that's like artists which has become like the william <laughs> hungs of these the art history of these things like people don't get taken seriously or they just get like sort of like washed in and then forgotten about i don't think that the art world does not take this seriously unless they really really let the artists go fuck 
fucking wild. And I don't think they would. I really, I don't see them letting them go wild. Before we wrap up this topic, could you give one word of advice to the team behind this show and how they can make it better? What would be something that you would suggest? I think that they should definitely get everybody into microdosing <laughs> on a daily basis. <laughs> and then on the days that they shoot, they should just, they should just straight up take LSD. <laughs> LSD. Like everybody should be on LSD the whole time they're filming on camera. And I think that might make for better. Like the art will be better. People will be bonding and like hugging and like laying on the floor and laughing. And it might feel like you're in the 70s again. And then like you can edit it cool. I agree. I think that's a direction that'll make for a great TV show. And honestly, watch. don't shoot it on a soundstage. Like go outside in nature. <laughs> It'd be really good. So Jerry, you know, because of the anticipated success of this up and coming MTV contemporary art reality TV show, actually a lot of other art reality shows have now been greenlit by the studios. No way. Do you want to hear some of their the titles of them? Course. And you actually have the list in front of you too. So you, you, you feel free to chime in. You can also read them okay, off yeah, to the audience. Sure. Yeah. So coming soon is America's next top Gmail art advisor that's appearing on the e network. A bunch of Gmail art advisors could be running around trying to capture the biggest billionaire they possibly can. Mm -hmm. So we're looking forward to that show. There's also, have you seen that show, Millionaire Matchmaker? Yeah, yeah. She's doing it now, but it's millionaire matchmaker for front desk girls who don't want to work in the art industry anymore. Right, yeah. So they just, they work directly with Patty and her leftover clientele who are art interested. Right. So their first date is that they come to the gallery and if they buy an expensive artwork, it's considered a great setup. Right. So I don't know if you saw this one. This one's fun. It's a Survivor MFA edition. So it's actually, they take a bunch of MFA graduates recently and they drop them off in Bushwick and they have to survive. So oh. you know, in the art world, there's certain challenges. It's hosted by Jeff Probst. He came back. It's Survivor MFA Bushwick edition. Oh. So I'm super excited for that one too. I was thinking also there could be one like it's called like Drift Tank. Like it's like Shark Tank, but mm -hmm. Drift Tank. Mm -hmm. And it's just every week Studio Drift walks into a room and pitches three people with money to say we have this crazy fucking project. Mm -hmm. And they have to pitch them successfully and they raise funds in order to do their crazy like drone art somewhere. But But while they're pitching... The tank is sinking. Right. And they have to climb out. I think that adds like a, a survivor. No, it's like sinking underwater. Thing. And so everyone's going to die unless unless they say yes. Fox is doing this um, one. It's 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 like The Apprentice, but it's- Is Donald Trump those in? Is he back? Yeah, it's it's actually me and we're hosting it and it's it's the search for America's next great senior director. Mm -hmm. So we have like a bunch of tasks that we will be sending them on. So it's you and Trump 
in the boardroom together. Mm-hmm. And you and there'll be there'll be like eight different you know applicants mm-hmm. for the position. So we'll be doing things like you know hand prepare a gallery dinner for a very fussy and difficult artist. You have three hours. Become an artist this week and then sell me on your practice. Pitch perfect exhibition to MoMA. Become a barista and learn to make the perfect flat white and oat milk lattes. Visit five artists and decide who will die first and convince them to join and join and convince them to join the gallery. Get three estates consigned to the gallery by the end of the week. Set up a foundation for a dead artist that so that we can control. Manipulate a weak man in the Saudi family and get the gallery funded for the next three years. Order my lunch and send it back to the restaurant until the chef hand delivers it and agrees to cater the next event, which starts in four hours. Uh, I think this is going to be a good one. Yeah, and we'll call this The Devil Runs a Gallery. (laughs) But how much better of the show? Me, Donald Trump, eight desperate men and women who want to be a senior director. How, how good would this show be? I tune in. What on Fox? On Fox. I think all these. It's really good to see that TV is finally woken up and they're really going to embrace art and just exploit it to the nines, like yeah. in this way. So, keep an eye out for those cool projects coming. Yeah, I look out for my show with Donald Trump. It's going to be really good. So, Freeze is next week, and you don't have to be afraid by that urban sprawl because we're here to give you a starter pack if you are heading out west for that art fair in the sun which by the way will not be in the sun this year i know it's gonna be cold it's you gonna see the be weather? cold like it's gonna 40s, be in the 40s, 50s maybe 60s yeah so poor la yeah no poor us we yeah. are like we're looking so forward i was <laughs> i was like oh i can finally wear something i mean i have been in deep state pajamas for like weeks deep state pajamas yeah <laughs> i've just been like I I have nothing but pajamas. There's a lot wear. of athleisure going on. It's in the not household. even. I don't even know if we can call it <laughs> athleisure. It's like I've I've gotten to the point now where I layer my pajama look with more layers of pajamas. Yeah, that's true. That's why I'm saying deep state. It's like I can't escape it. I'm I'm wearing two layers of socks right now. I was so excited to like wear something cute to LA, and then God damn it, I saw the weather. But anyways. We're going to guide you, and lucky for you, I just moved out of L.A. like six months ago, so I have a thing or two to say about that, and Matt knows a little bit about L.A., so 
I thought, you know, with my recent history in Los Angeles, we could talk to you about it. But at the same time, the geography of the art world in Los Angeles, once again, is changing a lot. It it really is. So for one, Freeze this year is going to be taking place at the Barker Hangar, which is all the way in Santimanica, (laughs) which there's a really great meme out there. You're going to find it yourself where if you live in New York, it'll make a lot of sense. It's like New York. It's it's got like the boroughs of New York laid on top of L.A. count mm-hmm. county, and then it like d- subdivides it, and so it makes sense. And Santa Monica from West Hollywood, which is I just base everything off of West Hollywood because that's where I lived. And it's kind of central-ish. It's very central. central, And like that's where the Felix Hotel or that's where the Roosevelt Hotel is, where the Felix Art Fair will also be taking place, West Hollywood. And didn't, sorry, didn't Freeze last year take place in West Hollywood? Freeze last year was also in West Hollywood. Right. But for some reason, Freeze acted this year like it's never been to LA. And it was like, hmm, we're going to go and be at the Barker Hangar. So there's another fair that takes place at the Barker Hangar called the Other Art Fair. And for reasons that I cannot fathom other than maybe they just did not like paying for the parking situation or whatever. It was kind of a nightmare last year in terms of the traffic and the streets. It was on off of Santa Monica. Was it not? Or it was between Santa Monica and, yeah, I guess. Santa Monica Boulevard. So it was, I remember that. It was the hotel parking and driving was a complete shit show nightmare. Yeah, but it was right near the Beverly Hilton. Yeah, it was It was kind of a ritzy area. I thought it was great. It was very close to my house. Of course, for that reason alone. But it was, maybe it was, it took, do we it was have any? it was close to Beverly Hills. It was close to everything. I thought it was a great location. The Barker Hangar. I'm going to let you see what you say for yourself, but it is not close for anyone. Hmm. It is so far away. It is the most inconvenient location for an event to be held in Los Angeles. So we don't know why they moved the location from West Hollywood. Well, because you can have parking out there Mm -hmm. and the Barker Hangar historically has held art fairs out there. Mm -hmm. So I think that they just said, you know, in the past, they've had the first freeze. Los Angeles was, at, I think, the first two were at Paramount Studios, which was awesome. Everybody loved that, but I'm guessing maybe they couldn't afford to keep having it at the Paramount Studios. So then they left, and I guess that they just have been having a hard time finding their permanent sort it of seems LA like it home. right they keep they keep trying different there locations. is a huge convention center in los <laughs> angeles which would make perfect sense but nobody wants nobody in the art world wants to put their precious art fair there because that's until art basel los angeles comes we're not reporting that it's coming but that's that's just until art basel decides to plant his flag in la no, that won't happen until somebody seriously cleans up Skid Row and <laughs> downtown and makes it tenable for people to walk around and stay down there and for it to be safe. Mm-hmm. Because you can't 
walk around out there. Like you, once you're inside of the convention center, you're safe. But like you, maybe you could walk around there. But like a bunch of, you know, y- European women with like Birkin bags, Birkin bags, and like. <laughs> Hermes shawls over their shoulders walking down the street would come back very robbed walking around that area. It's just not a safe area and everybody knows it. So It's this week. So it opens this week. Yep. So we're going to be out there and we'll be doing another podcast after seeing some of the, the fair stuff. There's also Felix taking place this week, too. At the Roosevelt, which is always a lot of fun. More fun. It's kind of like the Nada, Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. It's the more sort of fun, low-key, laid-back fair where you can go and find more emerging, but kind of like serious emerging. Mm -hmm. Not that spring break isn't serious emerging, but... It's more professionalized emerging. Right. And then spring break also will be going on. Yeah, and... spring break art fair. Shout out Amber and Andrew. Yep. They're double digits years of running that. Mm-hmm. The LA opens this week as well. Yep. Jerry and I curated a show there last year. It was, it was a blast. Yep. It's a good time. So I highly recommend. You know, those would be the three things from an art fair perspective that are worth checking out that week. We'll be going to those. Yeah. And then Periton Gallery is having their inaugural opening. Mm. They're showing my alumni, Barry McGee. I think we can summarize by saying in this first part of this is that there's a lot going on in LA next yeah. week. If you are there, check out the art fairs, check out some of the gallery openings because mm-hmm. it's going to be a good time. But Jerry, you mentioned it at the top of this section, like LA is changing. And a lot. The biggest change has been the migration, let's just call it, New York and other cities migration to los angeles yeah and this has been reported on by a number of outlets headlines like the la art scene is booming x y and z galleries have now arrived and it's we're going to explore why we think that's happening and some of the trends that have set that up Mm -hmm. let's take a walk down memory lane really quickly and check out you know what is the history of la's gallery and art scene in general Mm-hmm. And Jerry, you, people know, if they don't, they should, that you used to run a gallery in Los Angeles. You had a gallery, it was called Hildy, and you saw on the ground what really running an art gallery in LA is. So I'd be curious, what are some things that you took away from your time? Did you learn about the history of the LA gallery scene? And then how did you experience it in the mid 2010s when you were there, when you opened mm-hmm. up? Kind of what was going on? And then we can go and project forward about what we're seeing today. Yeah, it was definitely a different time, clearly. Six years ago. Mm-hmm. So it was in that strange moment where the art world was still not fully embracing tech and the future. And brick and mortar was like very, very important. And I used to have this argument all the time with my business partner. He would say, like, okay, I don't understand. We have this 3,000-square-foot beautiful, I must add, space. He's like, but it doesn't make any sense, Hildy, because we could save ourselves time, money, and headache and just consign work from artists, create, like, online viewing rooms, 
and sell work via PDF and not pay rent on this place and just like save ourselves the hassle and just like do online marketing. And I was like, what? (laughs) How dare you? Like, do you even understand this is about the primacy of in-person viewing? And this is about building community and this work needs to be seen in person. And he's like, okay, but 3,000 square feet for like nine objects. He's like, that doesn't even make sense from like a retail perspective. He's like, not even like Balenciaga does that. (laughs) Like, you know, like he would just argue with me on these things. And I was like, you don't understand art. But anyway, we, we would go back and forth and he would challenge me on these things. But the art world was different back then. We still did a lot of in-person viewing and community was important mm-hmm. and cult the power of cult was very important so my gallery had its own sort of cult-like existence where we had our you know die-hard family of visitors and we had a very particular kind of program and you know I scoured the earth far and wide to find and bring artists from all around and I you know I didn't do art fairs Mm -hmm. purposely I did pop-ups instead because I thought that that was a better long-term investment I thought why would I pay that much to pop up in a city for three days when I can go and take that amount of money or less and find spaces and build relationships and you know build longer term relationships with collectors and really get to know them whatever and little did I know that was such a dumb naive (laughs) idea in the eyes of the art world because that's not what people want no they want to be in the dance yeah. You got to be in the dance. Really. I was very, I was, I was wrong. I made, I made wrong calls, but I was also really great because I was, a, I was in the job of incubate, incubating young artists and maybe all the decisions that I made were for good for incubating mm-hmm. young artists. And I didn't throw them straight in, into the, you know, machine right away. Yeah. And I was just a little path along the way. But we had great shows. It was very community-driven. We were on Washington Boulevard in Mid-City. And everyone that ran a gallery on our street was a woman. And that was always kind of fun. There was a gallery nearby named Karma that was really cool. They're still open in Zurich, actually. And I see them at art fairs all the time. I don't know if they do... Freeze, but I know they do Basel, and so I see them at Miami and stuff. Walking around fairs with you recently, and just being in the art world in general, I do feel that peer group of LA gallery scene at that time, you guys are pretty tight. Mm-hmm. Like I can sense there's this camaraderie amongst you, and you'll walk in and you'll see like Anthony Cran or Esther Kimvera to various small fires or. 
Nicodem. Like mm-hmm. there is this sense of what, what I think is different about New York, which is it felt like more way more competitive there. Yeah. You know? And I feel like what I've seen, and you tell me if this is true or not, this is just my sense, is that there was a real camaraderie amongst you guys as peers. And it wasn't so cutthroat. And it was like you supported each other as gallerists. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, we didn't have that many collectors. So that's why I'm laughing. And, I'm, you know, I'm, I wish everybody well on their own path mm-hmm. to whatever it is they're doing. But... Truly, I want everyone to do well, but where, where, you know, listen gallery in the hole and Sean Kelly and all these other, well, Jessica might have because she has her sister down there working at UTA, but I mean, I don't know. I'm very curious where these people think they're going to get more art collectors. Because in the last couple of years, we've seen a huge boom of, like I mentioned earlier, galleries moving into Los Angeles and yeah. setting up outposts there. And you listed some of them. Listen, Sean Kelly. I mean, a lot of us shared collectors. Pace. Yeah. The small galleries, because first of all, we all had our own different programs. And we... We like, oh, I might know somebody for that, or oh, I could connect you with this person. It wasn't like there was like a reciprocity and all ships ride with the rise high with the tide kind of thing. It wasn't like there wasn't a huge suspicion in amongst one another. And I've I've heard that that's not super uncommon in smaller art markets, like in general, like. I have girlfriend girlfriends who work in Brazil mm-hmm. in like the be- best galleries in Brazil and she, she she one of them tells me like yeah they get together every other week or something and have wine and talk about work and they co- they come from like the highest positions senior directors whatever they drink wine and they're like what do you need oh i i can connect you mm-hmm. you need that cool i got that so I think that, you know, I like to sort of be hyperbolic, Jerry, and I know that people can be cunts and stuff, but definitely when you're in smaller markets, you can't really be an asshole mm-hmm. because then like you lose your friends, like you lose your peer groups. Calif- I mean, LA, maybe the scene is just going to get really big now and I'm going to go there and be like... I don't know who these people are. I want to go home. Where's my friends? But like, it was not that big before. So like, if you were a jerk, like you, I wouldn't say that you got like cast out, but like people would be like, okay, well, when you're ready to be nice, like we'll Mm. be nice to you too, you know? I can, I got the sense of that. I mean, it really is, as I mentioned, you have this, it's a genuine joy to see them. Mm-hmm. I remember when you saw Anthony Cran and his gallery, Wildman Cran, at Art Basel mm-hmm. in the main show room in yeah. Miami. You lit up because you remember working with Anthony and being peer groups back in the day. Yeah. And you were like, wow, like he's at you Art Basel. You used to like come to my shows. Yeah. I mean, go to his. Yeah. I, I, there's some camaraderie going on in New York City. I'm seeing a little bit now. There's like an East Village, Lower East Side thing and they're meeting and that's great. But I, I don't think the Chelsea galleries are 
you know, calling each other up, asking how they're doing and sharing yeah. clients. Well, you have the list in front of you. What are some of the big galleries, just one more time for, for the audience, that have moved to LA from mostly New York, but from other places as well? Well, Pace moved last year. They acquired Kane Griffin. They acquired Kane Griffin, yeah. Kane Griffin Corcoran. I would say probably be mainly because of who's their light and space artist? Terrell. Terrell. And because that building is so beautiful. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it. And it was a well-established, well-run business. Oh, yeah. I, I remember reading it about was. that. It's like Pace has acquired Kane Griffin, like a yeah, like, software I don't company. Think they, I don't think they, like, changed even the staff. No, they just, like, licensed it. It was like, yeah. we're just going to put Pace on the front door and you guys just keep doing your and thing. And it's right across the street from Dave Kordansky. So it's, like, in a good little area i mean it's not really it's kind of close to my old gallery actually but it's not like in a good area it's not like you can get out and walk or anything but i mean it's very close who else has come recently hauser and worth has been in la for since hauser and worth opened the same time that of when i moved to la Mm. out in the quote-unquote arts district which is not an arts district so if you're not from la don't be tricked by the name. But they have they refurb this old abandoned flower factory out in the arts district back in like 2015, 20, yeah, 2015, 2016. And that is back when there was this great hope that like the art world would exist out east in LA. And a lot of big galleries sort of moved out there. So you're saying the arts district is, yeah, east, right? East. East of West Hollywood, east of Santa Monica. Yeah. It's by downtown LA. Downtown. And Skid, Skid Row. Row. Yeah. yeah. And it just didn't happen. There was not enough goodwill to... I I don't know how to say this without sounding cruel, but like... Skid Row, it, you know, YouTube it, watch some videos of what it is. It is an open air drug market, yeah. drug market slash mental health, mental health crisis mm. that is, I don't know how many blocks. A lot. It's, <laughs> it's like a pretty hefty 20 area. 20 by 20 blocks. And because there is, has been no serious action taken to help those people and clean that area up there's just blocks and blocks of abandoned businesses and buildings and it's a nightmare for anybody to want to live there or walk around there and so another great example would be just downtown like Mm -hmm. there's this beautiful hotel beautiful i see it now in every single movie because i think now they just rent it at for movies it's like in every movie when they want to film something classy it's called the no nomad hotel or it was and it was the old bank of rome that the nomad hotel had perfectly like every single inch like remade and it was open for like two years it was so gorgeous and the pandemic came 
and they just shuttered their doors and it was so beautiful mm. but the thing is is that they couldn't really like they you know the ace hotel came down there like so many of those like key you know acne came down there like zara like all these businesses like health food places like they really there's a whole foods these luxury high-rise buildings with like amenities buildings came everything came trying so hard to make it nice down there and unless you really 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 deal with skid row and nobody nobody has been able to deal with it you know you cannot put enough luxury shit down there to make people right. want to do including it including art galleries including right. art galleries and yeah. so hauser and worth while it is a fabulous building and they have that beautiful restaurant manuela and they have you know that great bookstore and they have you know beautiful exhibition space and eight floors of private viewing and like i mean it's serious it's, it's, it's i love it like i used to live right next door to it when i first moved in to la and i would walk through it every day and i really 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 liked it but I think not that they're giving up on the space, but now they're also moving to a space over by Be on Beverly, like mm -hmm. in the like kind of like West Hollywood, Beverly Hills area. Interesting. So they're moving. David Zwerner, I guess, is getting a place in kind of like this weird Koreatown, like furniture district which doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I don't know who gave him the advice to take that place it's it's gonna it's gonna be a mistake that he took that that location i can promise you that <laughs> it was a very bad idea i don't know where sean kelly moved harper's books opened melrose a, yeah. opened a place in melrose i don't know where marion goodman moved to shrine new york city moved i don't know where they moved to sergeant's daughters moved i have no idea where they moved Listen Gallery, they moved to Los Angeles, Albert Spenda. They I think they did something smart in like West Hollywood, kind of near where I used to live. That's like the right demographic for them because they're doing like interiors and like homes mm -hmm. and they want to be up in like right. sort of Hollywood Hills area. Jessica Silverman, I'm guessing she'll get a good location because her sister Leslie Silverman lives in town and has been there for years and i don't know where the hole got their location but anyway yeah a lot of people came and then in reverse you know dave kordansky moved to new york mm -hmm. nino meyer also got a place in new york and brussels and Francois Gebeli also moved to new york and nicodem as well recently too. oh and nicodem yeah so i there's, there's a very interesting go thing going on in terms of the movements of the galleries or the openings of the galleries, right? They're not moving wholesale. They're just opening up another outpost. We've been throwing around a lot of neighborhood names, you know, West Hollywood, Santa Monica, downtown, Korea. Do you, or could you give the audience just like a summary of like the general vibes, the galleries, maybe even over the years where galleries have looked to? Kind of like people might know the story in New York City Galleries really started in Midtown, 
Central Park South. They moved down to Soho. They went east. They settled in Chelsea. And now there's a thing kind of happening in Tribeca. Right. So is there some sort of similar pathway that LA galleries have followed from a location perspective? And by the way, LA, how much bigger is it than New York City? Um, yeah. And harder to navigate. You can't hop on the subway. I mean, I guess you could. There is a subway in LA, but you can't hop on a subway and go from Santa Monica to downtown LA easily without confronting some kooky people on the subway. Yeah. But unfortunately, Los Angeles doesn't have a central hub. Mm. And it's very decentralized. Like, yeah, like and, blockchain. It's, and it's been a very long time since since Los Angeles prices were affordable enough for an artist to live within proximity to like the dealers or yeah. like, you know, so slowly over time, artists just keep getting pushed farther and farther east. Mm hmm. And the richer you are, the farther and farther west you live mm -hmm. is typically sort of how you think about it. And I do know, I wasn't around for this, but I do know that there was like a big hub of art, art galleries and like, I think there was like woodworking and framing and all of this stuff that sprouted up in this area called... Bergamo Station, which I think they were even trying or maybe they successfully did to get a train to go out there. I don't know why they called it Bergamo Station or like a light rail or something they were trying to get to go out there and kind of make it like a tourist destination for people to go. After that, I know that Sometime in the nine, 90s, late 90s, the big spot where everybody wanted to have their gallery was like in Culver City. Mm -hmm. And that was that scene was happening for a while. And that's like when Blum and Poe came around and way more galleries than that. That just happens to be one of the big ones that's lasted the longest and then that kind of got dispersed again because you know again it's so far west and i think i think there's something wrong or uncool like when artists can't be close to their art and it's just left to like the rich people to to touch it and to decide what it means and to decide where it goes and to look at it and party with it. I just feel like it's it just gets like very uncool very fast. And I just think those scenes die mm -hmm. and they become like the places where it's like, do you want to go to an art walk on Thursday and look at graffiti and like maybe buy something where there's like a Mickey Mouse with like dollar bill signs sprayed on his eyes and like an X over his mouth. My you favorite know? kind of art, honestly. Like, you know, like that's what those places become and that's what happened to like Culver City kind of. I mean, there's still some good galleries out there but that's more or less what happened and then Gagosian gallery has just always been in Beverly Hills but that's pr that's pretty much the only gallery there mm -hmm. 
I can't think of another gallery there. I know there's another one called Garbosian Garbosian yeah, Gallery. I've seen that. Yeah. But that's it. It is does seem like there was some centralization in the past. And then it really, gets break broken up. Yeah. Which and kind then, of mirrors New York City in some way, but there doesn't yeah. seem to be a hub like a real like Chelsea I know Tribeca is happening right now, but Chelsea is the gallery, you know. Yeah. Of the, the capital. And it doesn't seem to be the case in Los Angeles. No. And then there was like this little moment where it was all heading east. But then there was this big anti-gentrification mm-hmm. movement that took place. And it knocked all the galleries out of that area really fast. And so everyone left. And then now everyone's sort of back to trying to figure out. So where I want to turn to next is clearly there's been an allure for galleries in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. That's been going on for a long time. And it continues to move in waves. Mm -hmm. I think people open up outposts out there, close them, and then revisit it years later, especially some of the bigger galleries. So let's hit on why do we think galleries are continually attracted to setting up in Los Angeles? What do you think are some of the reasons, and I have some thoughts as well, and I'm, I'm happy to share them as to why LA does appeal to the big guys like Pace Warner, but even the mid-tier galleries, whole, you know, some of these other ones that have been opening up out there. What's pulling them? Naivete. <laughs> and ignorance. Because of the collector base. Yeah. I think that they are welcoming themselves to the city, and they just think that, like kind of bothers me in a way sort of because I mean I'm not an art dealer anymore so actually why should I care but like it's sort of this attitude of like oh we can just come and we'll just do it better as if a there there's there is an art scene in California that acts completely independent of New York and I don't think that people from New York understand that. Mm -hmm. Like, we have our own history. We have our own artists. We have our own collectors. We don't fucking care about New York that much all the time. Sometimes we care, but not all the time. And, like, people from California or people that are interested in California art are incredibly proud of the work that comes out of California. And like people from from New York have this thing, and I know this because I lived in New York for a couple of years and I almost caught the virus, which is I am the best and everything that I think is the best is the best and I know this because I'm from New York. (laughs) And people coming from New York have this ethos and this idea and I feel like they're coming thinking that they're offering the best, not understanding that there are a lot of people in California that are perfectly happy and comfortable with what they have and with their artists and with what they've been doing. And it's sort of offensive because A, there's not that many collectors in California 
There just isn't. And the ones that are, are collecting California art. And, like, their budgets are allocated to that. Right. Like, there, there's not tons of collectors. So, but would you say the... But clearly there's wealth, right, mm-hmm. in Los Angeles, in SF, in that part of the country, coming from, I mean, Hollywood, obviously, tech, there's some finance stuff out there. So, <laughs> and, and and those things exist as well in New York City and that wealth. But why do you think with all that wealth that there hasn't been a broader adoption? You know, you said that the collector base in LA is small, but even though some of the richest people in the world live in LA. Yeah, well, every single type of person that you just named, mm-hmm. tech, Hollywood, like all te- people who in tech think that they are artists and that they are gods <laughs> and that they are creating reality and that they, that everything that they do is art. So they, they look at like, what we do, which is like slow and methodical and deeply thinking. And they're like, that is some boring ass shit. No Mm -hmm. way. And it's expensive. No. Like, give me a sign that says beer in dotted lights and another one that says LOL, (laughs) you know, and get me a beer pong table. And and I'm happy. Yeah. No, but I mean, they don't, they don't want art. They there, are not interested and in how, art. And haven't there been attempts to open up things, not in LA, but in Palo Alto and Silicon Valley that, you know, to appeal to that new generation of wealth that really haven't hit? No, I mean, there, there's Pace in Palo Alto. I think it closed, actually. Yeah. It's just, it was a different market. It, it did was, not work. So the wealth was there, but the interest in collecting contemporary art for hundreds of thousand dollars per primary piece just wouldn't seem to be there. No. So the galleries now that are moving to LA, they're attracted to it. Yes, I think because the wealth, and and then you have to think about Hollywood. Hollywood, yeah. And then so this is where art advisors are clutch and interior designers are clutch, and I love to make fun of them, but they are actually incredibly important in the Los Angeles landscape mm-hmm. because you have actors or people that work in Hollywood that are incredibly busy. And bless them, but they don't have time to develop taste. They don't. They're busy. And they're like walking dolls. They're vessels, you know, like they're trying to become people that they're not. Their bodies are being ornamented to be something they're not. You know, they're being flown here, flown there, told this, told that, say, giving this interview, giving, they're, they're not they don't get time to like find their taste. So they literally need to pay somebody Mm -hmm. to like quickly educate them and help them find what they like. And hopefully they have a good advisory team to get them, you know, it good, good or decent art. And Sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. Did you work with a lot of interior designers and art I advisors did. at Hill? But I worked with I worked with like the best. Right. Because I worked with like I mean they're like AD top top 10. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't that stuff happens of course in New York to some level, but do you think it's just more emphasized and important in the LA market? One of the people that I worked with throughout 
the entire time I had my gallery, I texted him the other day during the Grammys about Lizzo. And he was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing her house now. <laughs> and I was like, you better give her some good taste. <laughs> and he's like, she, she's got good taste on the way. <laughs> you know, and it's like that these people, you can't fault them. Their lives are like constantly on the move. Sometimes they spend like 20 nights a year in their own home. Right. They're you shooting. Know? They're traveling around the world. Yeah. They're on tours, press stuff. Yeah. yeah it's... And maybe they have five homes. So they, they hire someone to do so. Yeah. So it's so important that you are working with like a good interior designer. And that's why, you know, we joke when I make memes around this time of year about going to L.A. about these interior designers. But like an interior designer in L.A. or an art advisor in L.A. holds a higher position in society there than anywhere else. And like they, if they're good, they actually deserve that crown. Right. I think a couple things about why LA has become really attractive for these galleries on paper. And I hear everything you're saying about the pitfalls and perhaps the naivete that is happening. If you go before the pandemic, I think LA was attractive to some part. I don't think there's one silver bullet. This is why LA is the best spot. But I think there are trends that people looked at that made it appealing. One being China and Asia and the rise of those collectors arguably becoming the most important collectors in art, spending the most money at auction, buying things off of PDFs, loving everything about contemporary art and spending their newly gained wealth into this space. Then go back to the post-World War II New York City, the transfer of Europe as the art capital of the world to New York City during that time, partially due to the fact that you could fly, the wealthy could fly from Europe to New York in a relatively easy way to take boats, wherever else they got there. It's across the Atlantic. It was accessible. And I think a little bit of that came into play pre-pandemic that China, people from Hong Kong could come to LA a little bit easier than going all the way to New York. And they could have that, that touch point with those clients. That said, post-pandemic, not a lot of travel taking place. And in fact, the way people transact and perform commerce in the art market has changed where so you don't need to physically be there at all. So yeah, was, we might be going into another like kind of like Cold War with China. Yeah, balloons aside, like there's there's <laughs> reasons why people from mainland China aren't flying into LA to check out a painting anymore. So if you nullify that and you sort of think, okay, so why post-pandemic are people flooding over there? You know, one theory that I heard wasn't mine, but I think it's apt, was that galleries are protective of their artists. Mm -hmm. And I think you'll agree with that. And mm -hmm. A gallery in New York who's exhibiting an artist in New York does not want to share that artist with a gallery in Los Angeles. The audience probably knows artists will be represented in New York by XYZ Gallery, but also represented by ABC in Los Angeles and then Elemental mm -hmm. P in London. And they have these different regional representations. That's because their one gallery cannot be in all certain places unless they're working with a big international mega dealer. And I think Los Angeles is an attractive place for artists to live, work, mm -hmm. and exhibit. They have friends there. They want to be kind of in that Hollywood scene. It's beautiful. It's fun. It's got a rich art history. And I think an artist in New York, represented in New York, might want to try to do a show out in Los Angeles. 
well, that New York gallery that doesn't have an outpost out there will then have to share that artist with an LA-based gallery. And I think that conflict has caused a lot of galleries in New York to say, yeah, no, we don't want to share our artists, our top artists with an LA gallery. We will just open up out there. And mm -hmm. even if there's not a big collector base, even if China can't fly over, we can at least say to our artists, we're in LA. So why would, it, why would you want to show with Blum and Poe and then show with us in New York? We're, we're in LA. You can just show with us in both parts. Mm -hmm. It avoids that awkward conversation of an artist saying, oh, you know, I got this new set of amazing paintings and I think I wanted to go to LA. And then right. like, you're the New York dealer. You're like, shit, well, that's no, I, mm -hmm. I've been working on you here. Like mm -hmm. I want some sense of control on yeah. your market. So why not open up in LA and get mm -hmm. there? So it's, it's kind of territory protection in a way. And I think yeah, that's a I agree with you. big reason. And by the way, it, this isn't just like a New York LA problem. Kordansky's opening up in New York. And I think yeah. for the exact same reason, right? Right. Nicodem, same reason. I mean, I think these yeah. galleries want to exercise a little bit more control over their artists and not share with other galleries. And it's that competitive thing again. And I Which think is so funny because I was just saying that when I worked in LA, we were not, we were so not like that. Well, I think Dave, Dave now has, you know, just based on his price points and his profile, like he's at that level where he's like, no, I want to have a space in New York. I want my artists to be able to show in New York. All I'll say is that there's, there's been a rich history of artists coming from California. Artists want to exhibit there. And thus I think certain galleries feel the need to protect their own and open up out there. And I think that's a major reason. Yeah. We'll see if it works. You know, I mean, I, I can see, I can see how pace or some of these big galleries they can justify it with once one solo show once a year with one of their major right. artists that that pays to get for the gallery for a year some of these other galleries i don't know mm. it's really gonna they're they're gonna have to work really hard so you know we'll we'll see what happens we also have to bet and pray that la will get into art a little bit more again. LA in the 60s, I think for sure was into art because it kind of tied in with like the LSD culture mm -hmm. and the spirituality culture. But my experience recently li living in LA is that it sort of still has this quasi spirituality culture, but it's very, it's very materialistic, which the art world could play off of a bit, but it's very into like looks. Is it called looks maxing? <laughs> like maxing your looks out? Like fitness culture, so like celebrity culture, influencer culture. That to me is sort of the dominant. I wouldn't even say it's Hollywood culture. That's sort of like cheesy almost to say. It's the the. the the pervasive culture to me, the one that I felt like you could sense the most is like girls in spandex walking around with their big lips, like filming themselves, you know, with the selfie stick talking about what they ate this morning. You know, like that is sort of LA culture. What, what I'm trying to say is those people will be accruing wealth or, or, maybe leaving and I don't know I don't know what I I don't know how we're going to make it click for them that it's cool and that art is what you should be spending your time on we the fitness culture has got them for sure you know like the Botox culture has got them 
For sure. One thing I thought was interesting, Alexander May is a curator of functional art. Mm -hmm. And about a year and a half ago, he did a pop-up in this really cool old abandoned like Sears and had all kinds of furniture that artists had made. And it was it was cool. It was it was really beautiful and tons of people showed up, including like the Kardashians. Like it was something that was genuinely refreshing and so different and in like a very different part of town. And I I kind of thought, hmm, maybe Alexander was going to crack the code. And then I had another friend, Alex Teague Walker, who is actually in New York doing projects now, who was doing something similar where he always takes buys a house or rents a house wherever he goes, and he just transforms it with art and objects. And then for as long as he's there, he just is in this constant state of entertaining and bringing people in and cooking for them and cooking for them on the greatest dishes and handmade napkins and doing ceramic seminars and having artists come in and having artists live with him and they make things. And he's really great too. And then he'll have like really interesting like guests that just show up to his things. And I hate to use that word celebrity, but just like the kinds of people where you're like, oh, that was a wonderful party. I met X, Y, and Z. Like, that was memorable. You know, so there there are people in L.A. that are sort of kicking up the dust in a sense where they're, like, sort of bringing in and back, like, really interesting parts of L.A. culture and saying, like, no, 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 guys, come on. Like, art is cool. It's yeah. not boring. It's not sterile. Like, let's come in and look. And I, when I had my gallery, that was something that I tried to do with my programming was like, let's not just like treat it as this like holy, silent, boring, you know, church activity. Like, let's do something different. And there are a lot of people in Los Angeles that will, I think this is part of the allure of Los Angeles, actually, is it's not as sterile as New York. And I think people are willing to make a little, take little more risks and go a little extra further. And they're not as precious with it. And I think that is sort of the, the wind of the Pacific Ocean, that <laughs> endless ocean that you're so close to that is sort of daring you to do something different and, and, it's it's the pioneering wind, you know, that's always blowing at you. And it sounds cheesy, but it's true because it's just right there. And it's like that promise of freedom of the West Coast that I think people are just sort of always enchanted by, even though it's a mythology. It's just sort of like it's right there. You can just maybe do something just a little different. Try something just a little bit different. And I I know that's why I took risks when I had a gallery. And I hope that the people that are coming and doing new things, I hope they actually try something different. I hope they don't just do the same shit over and over again. Try, try to be different. Make it a different David's Werner. 
you know, yeah. make it a make it a different hole. <laughs> yeah. A different hole. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't think of a better person to give an LA breakdown than you, Jerry. So I hope you guys enjoyed that little starter kit pack, some history, some that future, rambling. that rambling on LA. But you know, this is Freeze LA's week. So we'll be back next week with an episode that gives more of our take about what we saw, our experiences, the conversations we had. And Jerry herself will be writing the latest chapter of the Jerry Report, available at Gagosian.com. Jerry, are you excited to to write about what you experienced at Freeze? Is this the second time I think you've written about Freeze LA? I think you did 2022. It is, yeah. yeah. To, to, to put my clickety-clack to work and <laughs> put some put some words down i am i'm curious to see all of this once again this this is my first year not living there since free started freeze right. la started so i'm going as a guest <laughs> a guest of honor so i'm i'm excited to just see it and of course i'm going the year that like everything is opening so i'm gonna be really relying on my friends to tell me the truth what's really going on. Yeah. So we can't wait to see that. So Jerry and I will be out there. We have an event on Friday mm -hmm. that we are hosting. Uh, subscribers to gagosian.com already have the download on that. We'll send out another invite to our subscribers, reminding them of it. So if you're interested in, in meeting with us and coming to the event in Los Angeles, make sure you become a subscriber at gagosian.com and we'll send you all the details how to RSVP. I'm writing something this week too. Yeah. <laughs> If you guys recall, I started a newsletter on Substack. It, the link for it will be in the bio. Uh, last week, I did a report on art investing. This week, I'm taking a, a chunk out of or a, a bite into artist resale royalties, Ooh. which is a heavy topic and one that I don't take lightly. So I've been really taking my time with this piece. So if you're curious, go ahead and subscribe. It'll be out shortly uh, at the beginning of this week. And again, the link is in the bio for that. It's totally free to sign up. So check that out if you're free. All right, guys, take care. This is fun. Episode 14 in the books. You've been listening to Arts Mac. See you later. Bye. See you on the internet. <laughs>